Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. I'm Stephen English and with me today is David Emmett and we'll be previewing the Argentine Grand Prix and Aragon World Superbikes. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve English GP. And you can follow me on Twitter at Moto Matters. And you can follow the show on at Paddock Pass Pod. And if you're a fan of the show, please review us on iTunes, give us a rating and also follow the Facebook page Paddock Pass Podcast. David, it's just the two of us this weekend, uh, just talking about the Argentine Grand Prix in Aragon, but uh, we've got Neil on the ground, so we'll have lots of information from him in next week's show. But uh, obviously, heading into the weekend, a lot of talking points just about some of the rule changes that we've seen implemented already in in regards to winglets. We also have a new track just to see how the Michelins uh, will will work for each of the riders. And uh, we should start to get some more answers just in terms of what we can expect for the rest of the season. But but uh, Argentina should be a, a very exciting race. Last year, of course, we saw tyre issues there with Marquez and Rossi having their, their famous clash on the last lap. But it should be a really interesting race just to see what we can expect for the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, if you like, the um, Argentina was the, was the start of the, well, what became the, the Sepang clash, what became the, the infamous uh, falling out of Rossi and, uh, and Marquez when the, the, the two touched each other. Certainly uh, Valentino Rossi um, uh, blames that or pinpoints that, that incident as the start of the, uh, the, start, the beginning of the end of their relationship. Um, uh, but, it, I mean, it, which is... It's a bit of a shame to to focus on that because it's such a fantastic track. It's it, it's the uh, it's the second fastest uh, track on the circuit, uh, only uh, a little bit slower than uh, Phillip Island. And I know that the circuit designer Jano Zafelli was was really uh, he actually designed it to be faster than Phillip Island, and he was a little bit uh, disappointed that it wouldn't well, that it wasn't faster than Phillip Island because um, uh, basically the track just doesn't get enough use uh, to get properly rubbered in and uh, uh, and smoothed out. So. So uh, we shall see. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting weekend. Certainly, I think first and foremost in terms of tyres, because we went to uh, Qatar having just had a three-day test there. And now we're going to a track where Michelin, uh, I believe they did test. I think uh, um, uh, Colin Edwards tried to test there, but it rained for uh, for a couple of days. So they didn't really get any experience. And that uh, the, the track is really, really hard on tyres because it's so fast. It's like Phillip Island. It places a lot of demands on tyres and the surface is quite abrasive. So it's going to be very um, interesting to see how that coped. I mean, certainly there were a factor last year, Steve. Yeah, definitely. Like when you look at uh, last year's race, I'm sure you've watched it back, David. We saw just how important tyre choice was. And if you went for the harder compound or if you went for the softer, you were quick in different stages of the race. And we actually saw Mark uh, Marquez use the softer tyre and it really meant that he was able to gap the field in the early stages, but then lose ground in the second half of the race. Rossi was able to close that gap and just eke, eke, eke into that lead. And uh, then obviously on the last lap, we saw their, their clash and it was a case of of Marquez I think after the race he said that uh, every time you race Rossi you always learn something but I think the main lesson he learned was that uh, you've got to be consistent over the course of the full race you've got to be able to learn exactly what to expect from the tyres over the course of that race and that's where this year it's going to be really interesting to see how he actually uses his tyres and whether he, he he takes those lessons on and he shows that uh, the 12 months, just how much he's actually gained from it. It was interesting last year, though, um, obviously it was Cal Crutchlow's only podium of the year and he went for the harder compound tyre as well, like Rossi, and 
just like Rossi in the second half of the race, we saw him start to edge closer and closer towards Marquez too. So it just showed just how big of a difference that tyre actually made whenever you see the satellite Honda. And obviously Cal had a very tough year last year, wasn't really getting on with the bike, but he was able to get a podium in that race. But just he was able to lap faster and faster than Marquez in those closing stages. But I think this weekend is going to be really interesting just to see how everyone actually uses those tyres and how they use their allocation just to to learn the Michelins, learn the track again, and then uh, how to set the bikes up. Yeah, the interesting thing last year was that, uh, I mean, Rossi basically, he almost won the race on the Friday when, uh, or on the Thursday night when they decided that they weren't going to even bother looking at the uh, the softer of the two tyres and, uh, and use the, the hard rear. And they spent all weekend working on setup for this hard rear. Um, uh, they suffered in qualifying. I mean, they suffered in qualifying all last year, but but last year, I think, uh, I think they qualified eighth or something on the grid. Um, uh, Rossi was eighth on the grid last year. So, uh, but, you know, he went on to win the race just because they put in the work at the uh, at the beginning. And it's going to be interesting to see, obviously, all of that data is now sort of almost, or, almost lost because we're on a completely different tyre and the different tyres are working differently. So it's going to be interesting to see if someone goes into the weekend uh, just working on hard, uh, just working on, on, on a particular compound and not bothering with the with the software of the compounds. Yeah, because it's interesting you say that, Dave, because I was talking to Tom O'Kane at the Phillip Island test and uh, obviously throughout last year I talked a lot to Tom just about how the Suzuki was working and how the, they were adjusting their setup based on just having more and more experience and one thing that he said down in Phillip Island was that uh, by and large everyone is now set in the changes that they have to make and understand how the base setup for this year differs to last year already but obviously in Qatar we had a three-day test Phillip Island we had a three-day test Sepang we had a three-day test even Valencia we had a three-day test now you have to be on it from first thing Friday morning and this is where we get to really see if people do understand the setup changes that they've had to make towards their base setting if they can be quick from the outset on Friday they have understood that if they learn a lot through the course of the weekend that's where we see the teams really haven't gotten the full grasp on the Michelins just yet uh, do you think this is going to be one of these races where um, uh, someone pulls a cat, a cat out of the bag on Sunday morning during warm-up where you know they've been chasing around uh, in, in lots of different directions during practice and not really made much of a much of an impression but um, uh, then maybe they finally slot the, the the final pieces into place on the on the sunny morning and the race turns into a different uh, completely it turns out completely differently than we expected yeah I, I really do think that that could be the case this weekend and i think the real wild card is going to be Piero because he's obviously got more experience on the Michelins than anyone else he's going to be on the bike that he's been doing all that testing on as well so he's got lots of experience on the GP15 on Michelins so it could actually play into his hands quite a lot in the early stages of Friday which could mean that he's able to set a top 10 time as we come out of FP3 get through to Q2 and actually put himself in a really good position for a strong weekend whereas as you said last year Rossi eighth fastest in qualifying it'd be very easy to see some fast riders down 8, 9, 10th, 12th on the grid, I think, this weekend. Yeah, it, it's funny that you should mention Pira because that raises an interesting point where um, uh, you know 
that uh, Pirro's data, the first thing that's going to happen a bit as soon as he gets off the bike, it'll probably be on the laptops in the Ducati garage faster than it is in the Pramac garage because, uh, um, and it's going to be interesting to see what the factory Ducatis can do with that. Now, Dovicioso was on the podium last year. Um, this could perhaps be the, was it Dovicioso or Ian? I think uh, Dovicioso, uh, let me look it up. Yeah, that's right. Dovicioso was second. Ian only was fourth. Um, uh, it, we, I think the Ducati could be really strong this weekend. They're definitely now a wild card, a wild card in more than one way, in more than one sense. Yeah, and I think you make a good point about how the factory Ducati team will have the data from Piero, but. The one thing that we found whenever Casey tested the bike after Qatar was that he said that the GP15 is very, very different compared to the 15 that he had been testing. Yeah. And he said that uh, the chassis stiffness is very different. It's a little bit softer and a bit more forgiving. So whereas some of the data that Piero is going to give will be quite good in terms of, you know, the what the tyre is doing is feedback on some of the setting changes that he makes. We're going to end up with a situation where a lot of the data won't really be transferable, I think, in terms of the 15 to the 16, just because of the changes we saw. And even whenever you talk to Davizioso and Ianone, they have said that the new bike is a lot easier to get into that operating window, but it's very different compared to what they had been using with the 15. It's not as drastic as the step from the 14 to the 15, but definitely is a step and I think maybe later in the year they'll be able to understand better about how to transfer the data from one bike to the other but in these early stages of the season it's hard to actually really do that transfer and uh, actually whenever myself and Neil were down at the Phillip Island test we were talking about uh, some of the data transfer between different bikes between different uh, teams and riders with uh, Bradley Smith and and what Brad said was that uh, it'd be nice to be able to share the data with the Yamaha team from the outset but he's not even able to share his data with Paul at that time because they were trying to learn so much about the tires, so much about the bike and how you needed to get the base setup to work. So in these early races, I wonder whether or not we'll actually have that kind of transfer that's as streamlined as what you'd see later in the season. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a good point, but uh, uh, it's certainly going to be interesting. Certainly, at least uh, the you know Petrucci and the people around Petrucci will have uh, um, uh, because obviously he'll have some of his test engineers with him. Uh, they know uh, Petrucci's ridden both bikes; he's ridden the GP15 and the GP16. Um, he knows the Michelins, so he maybe he can give a little bit of a uh, uh, a little bit of a pointer. But it's certainly going to be interesting to see what, you know how that all plays out again. Yeah. And we mentioned Petrucci's injury, obviously really unfortunate that he wasn't able to race in Qatar. He's going to miss Argentina and Texas and and maybe even a little bit uh, later in the season as well. But um, Ducati did confirm that they did talk to Casey actually about doing the races as well. And they all agreed that uh, I think um, Delinia's words were that it wasn't sensible for Casey to race at this point just because he doesn't have that much experience on the Ducati. What did you think, David? And and is Piro... Is Piro the right choice for uh, Pramac to replace Petrucci? Yeah, I mean, as much as I want to see Casey on a bike, um, I think uh, uh, I think Casey Stoner is. I mean, he's still not race fit, which is very different from uh, from actually being able to lap fast. Uh, I remember at the Sepang uh, the Spang test, the first day. I mean, basically after the first day of the, of the test, he couldn't write. Um, he was just completely. Uh, um, he was you know stiff and sore all over. That was a lot better in the uh, after the second day. Uh, so that was yeah. I mean, he, I think he's he's slowly getting there, but he's he still also has uh, you know one or two sort of physical problems. And I really uh, I really doubt 
uh, whether he has the 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 desire to actually race so i don't think he's i mean i think uh, perhaps maybe at some point he may you know come around to it and decide that racing is uh, racing would be a good thing but right now um, um it, it's i don't think he's here yet so yeah putting piro on the bike it makes a lot of sense and also it makes an awful lot of sense just for ducati because uh, piro is so experienced he's fast uh, he he understands the bike he understands the tires uh, you know he He's been a really massive factor in pushing this whole project forward. Yeah, I definitely agree as well, David. I think it's it's more a case of playing devil's advocate, asking whether or not Casey should race. I think for all the reasons you outlined there, it makes perfect sense. I think when you when you talk to Casey, he has said that uh, riding the MotoGP bike is the most physical thing you can do. Like I was talking to him for about twenty minutes down Phillip Island, just about supercross and motocross and how riders use that to try and prepare themselves for a gp bike and he said that uh, for him most of it is it's just fun to be riding the bike nothing prepares you to get on a, a motor gp bike and have to to tame that amount of power and put that amount of strain through your shoulders through your body under braking that um he said after four or five laps in sapang he was absolutely spent and obviously Sepang, it drains you anyway because of the heat and the humidity. Yeah. So Argentina would be a little bit easier. Qatar was probably a bit easier for him. But still, to be able to go out there and do a 45-minute race, to be able to go and do FP3, FP4, qualifying straight on the bounce, it's it's a, too big of an ask even for a rider like Casey. And I think it's, it's good that Ducati gave him the option. I think it's even better that they both agreed that uh, it was best to sit it out. I think that's where the the difference is compared to 12 months ago whenever he was he was looking to get on the Honda. You could see that he really wanted to ride the Honda whereas Honda didn't want him to ride the bike. Uh, yeah, exactly, and that was one of the reasons why he actually ended up leaving. What I certainly think is um it, yeah, I think certainly if uh, one of the Ducati riders ends up getting injured, uh, shall we say, in um, uh, you know in in June, July, August, uh, then 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 there's no there's just no contest. It's obvious that the that you put Casey on the bike, um, or Casey would be much more much much more of a uh, of an option. But uh, right now, no. I mean, Piro's a much better a much better option. One thing I'm interested in, uh, especially Argentina, I think is Suzuki. I think this could be a track. I mean. Last year they struggled a little bit also because they they didn't have the hard tire. Um, uh, we had the separate tire regulations which we don't have now. Everyone's on the same tires, so maybe the the Suzuki can use a little bit more uh, can use a little bit more tire. The engine's got more power. Um, uh, Aleix was Aleix Spargaro was seventh last year. Uh, what twenty five seconds behind the uh, the front? I think he could be an awful lot closer this year. Um, that's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, and I think um, we definitely have seen Suzuki make big strides forward. They've said that they're they're still not uh, race ready with the seamless downshift, so it's still going to take a bit of time to get all of that uh, completely ready. But they definitely made a step forward in Qatar compared to where they were at the end of last season. And I think that this is a key race for Espagaro as well. We saw him on the front row last year, so he, he likes the track. He, he's gone well here in the past. So I think it's really going to be important for him to lay down a marker to Vinales and show that... Uh, you know Maverick isn't going to have it all his own way this year I think if we get uh, you know through three four races 
and Aleish has been getting beaten the same way that he was in Qatar, I think that's where we'd see a lot of friction within the team. So it's important for them that uh, they really do get the bike working for Spagaro this weekend. But the way I look at it is this, it, I find it hard to say that they're actually going to make a step and have this as one of their stronger tracks just because, as you said, David, they were a second a lap off the pace last year at a track where, you know, a couple of tenths is actually quite difficult to find. And I think it's it's a lot like Phillip Island. Like you mentioned earlier on that uh, when they were designing the track, they wanted to be fast like Phillip Island and fast tracks with flowing corners. They mean that bikes can stay together and you don't tend to see a lot of groups. And that's why like last year, obviously with the tires, it was a bit different. But if you look at uh, the, the podium, it was Rossi. Let's say Marquez would have been within a second of Rossi at the flag as well. Davi was five seconds back. Crutch, though, Ian Ona, Lorenzo, they were all within about 10 seconds of the leader. It was actually quite a close race, even when you take into account the tyres. This year's going to be a lot closer. I'd be surprised if it's not five seconds separating the top four or five. So I think that for the Suzuki's to actually find that much time at this track is going to be a big challenge for them. Yeah, uh, yes, but I mean, it's certainly going to be a lot easier for them at uh, Argentina than it will be at Austin, uh, it, it seems to me. You know, Austin's going to be uh, a much... Uh, it's going to be a much tougher track. Yeah, and I think that that's something that uh, we're going to just really have to keep an eye on all year just to see how the Suzuki actually progresses. But it, it has been promising for them from the start of the year. But uh, obviously in Qatar, we saw yet again, it is still the Yamaha show, really. Like we saw Lorenzo so strong. The Ducatis were able to, to keep with him. But once Lorenzo got past, he never really thought he was going to be overtaken. And uh, I think this weekend is going to be another another race like that. I think that uh, if he's able to get to the front, I don't think anyone's going to see which way he goes again. I'm not convinced, not uh, not at Argentina, because Lorenzo had a tough. I mean, he had a tough race there last year, uh, basically because he chose the wrong t- or he, he chose the wrong tire. He didn't spend enough time working on the hard tire. Maybe uh, uh, the, the, he'll have learned that. But I I really have a sneaking feeling that. Um, um, that the Ducatis are going to be able to use some of their uh, some of their horsepower to at least keep him uh, keep him honest. There's the back straight, which is you know fairly uh, fairly long. There's a, a couple of uh, of slow corners where it's going to be all about acceleration. Where I think the Ducati is going to be uh, is going to be able to to use the horsepower, but um, it's it's going to be close. And like you say, I mean the 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 the, the big question mark is how much. Mark, Mark has learned here last year. Yeah, and I, I think you are right in saying that the horsepower will give them an advantage. At the end of the day, it always gives you an advantage when you've got uh, that extra speed. But last year, I think we saw that the Ducati was five or six Ks quicker than most of the bikes whenever they were all lapping on their own. And now that the bike is even more powerful, that could be even more of a pronounced advantage. So then that back straight, as you say, David, they could, they could have an advantage. But I think that the key thing for Ducati is just that they're able to they're able to, to to keep with the leaders, fight for the win. I don't think that they're going to win here. I think Texas is their their real opportunity to try and get a win. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I think for Iannone and Davizioso, I think the key thing is just to be able to fight and show that uh, you know every track that they go to this year that they're going to be in contention. But I think that uh, I think this weekend is going to be interesting just to see how each of the manufacturers actually approaches it because obviously we're going to be focused on Honda, Yamaha, and Ducati. But um, we need to see, as we said earlier, how Suzuki finds some improvements as well. And I think that uh, the one thing that Qatar showed me, at least, was that whenever you get your bike working with these Michelins, you can actually overcome a lot of the differences between the different bikes. Because if you look at what we saw 
last time out in Qatar like we did tend to see two by twos but everyone was able to actually race with one another so I, I'm interested to see how the Michelins actually work this weekend because like we spent all winter talking about it but we still don't really have answers after Qatar as to how the tyres will react during a race I think we need to get through Argentina, Texas and a couple of the European rounds before we get uh, get the grid actually settled down and understand what to expect this year uh, Yeah I mean I uh, spoke briefly to uh, Peter Bomb, uh, uh, Danny Kent's crew chief well, I think a couple of weeks ago and um, he was saying about testing we were talking to him about testing at Qatar and what he said about Qatar is the trouble with Qatar is you it's uh, it's a track where you know if you get sort of a ballpark if you get your bike within the ballpark it'll work so it's not something that that, uh, that you learn an awful lot because it doesn't expose the the real weaknesses the real finesses it doesn't require um, an absolute pinpoint setup it will work with a you know uh, it will work with a setup which is which is good enough and so Argentina I think is a little less like that so it's going to be interesting I think this track will expose uh, certainly setup weakness a lot more than, than than Qatar did especially after after tests and and like you say that's going to have its effect on the tyres yeah that, that's something I was actually talking to Sam Lowe's about last year was the difference between Qatar and some of the other tracks and what he said to me was that the key thing in Qatar is just to always hit your breaking marks always hit your turning points it's such a narrow line that uh really regardless of bike setup you just need to be on that line and then you'll get your lap time and uh, whereas whenever we go to places like argentina where it's a bit bumpier places like texas where we've got fast flowing corners that lead into one another a long straight that's where we start to see what the setup is actually really like but um one thing that we did see david that was announced in the aftermath of uh, qatar was the grand prix commission's decision about winglets and uh, obviously it's something that uh, you've talked a lot about obviously on uh, the blog we've seen matt oxley's blogs about it as well we've seen a lot of content just about uh, the winglets and obviously a lot of people aren't really sure what uh, to make of the winglets but the the one thing that we've seen from the step made by the grand prix commission and banning them for moto 2 and they will bring in a full ban next year for moto 3 is that uh, they want to avoid getting into a position where there's a lot of cost going into uh, into the winglets and uh, using them as an aerodynamic device just to try and uh, change some of the bike's characteristics. Obviously, there's safety concerns as well, but we don't have a ban in place for MotoGP yet. But I, I think it's pretty clear that the GPC are looking to bring in a ban down the line. Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, everyone I've spoken to inside of Dora, inside of Erta, um, I haven't spoken to very many people from the FIM. They tend to rubber stamp what the teams and what Dorna are actually thinking. Uh, they all, I mean, as far as they're concerned, if they could ban them tomorrow, they would ban them tomorrow unfortunately they can't ban them tomorrow because uh, part of the deal in getting um the factories to accept the spec electronics was a virtually a, a, a freeze on the technical regulations for the next five years um, until uh, until 2021. Obviously, there were between well after about 2008, after the financial crisis, uh, Dorna was scratching around for desperately trying to find any way to to reduce costs and to fill the grids. I mean, in 2009, 2010, we had 17 bikes on the grid, uh, and it looked very very thin and sparse uh, now we've got much more uh, we've got many more bikes on the grid uh, the we've got more manufacturers it's looking a lot healthier the gaps between the manufacturers are, are are much closer it's much easier for everyone to actually compete again because of these because of these new regulations but the, the, the price of uh, the price of creating that has been to 
promised not to keep chopping and changing rules all the time. Um, however, it looks and feels like this could be an area where uh, cost is going to be a significant factor. Uh, the trouble with aerodynamics is you can do so much in terms of modelling and in terms of wind tunnels. Um, uh, you know, you can always find a little bit more gain by throwing more programming power by doing more runs in the uh, in the wind tunnel. Um, uh, certainly, um, uh, Shuhei Nakamoto was not at all impressed with. Uh, uh, I think he was talking about it cost basically 150 million uh, euros to run a. Um, to run a wind tunnel, which is not at all good. And I mean, you're a, you're a keen follower of, uh, of F1, Steve. You must know, uh, or you must be aware of the the problems with aerodynamics in in F1. Yeah, because I was just gonna I was just gonna mention that, Dave, because I have talked to a few people in the F1 paddock just in relation to the the costs and the benefits then of you know CFD computer fluid dynamics compared to uh, wind tunnel work. And uh, by and large, what everyone in the paddock has told me is that there is no difference. The only thing is if you've got a hundred million quid budget for wind tunnel work, you'll just spend a hundred million quid on getting your supercomputers, getting all those kind of things in place to be able to do CFD instead. And while an F1 car, you can understand the benefits of the wind tunnel because it, by and large, it will stay in place on the track with a motorbike, obviously, as you pitch into a corner, you change the angle that the, that the wind is attacking the bike. You, you'll pitch down under braking, you'll pitch up under acceleration. You've got so many different dynamics that you have to design in place for. And that's what the issue is with making these, uh, these winglets in the wind tunnel. And you lose an awful lot of what you could actually gain from that, the the the, uh, the devices that we see, and that's why you tend to see an awful lot of of the wind tunnel work is just to reduce drag, which makes perfect sense. That's why you want to see a, a bike that's fast in a straight line, and that's why we don't tend to have an awful lot of aerodynamics work. But I remember at Valencia last year, David, we were talking to Gigi Delini about it, and what he said to us was that uh, aerodynamics is, I think he said, like the final frontier of bike development for him it's where we're going to see the biggest gains but also the biggest costs and that's where i think we need to see the gpc or we need to see the manufacturers all come in line and actually just say you know for the greater good of the sport we have to just rein in this aerodynamic spending uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the you make a good point about the very, about the dynamic nature of a, a of a bike because uh, I remember talking to Mark Taylor of FTR when FTR were building their um, Moto Two bike. Mark basically designed the uh, air intake on the front of the bike to be a big round circle at one point um, because this it, it radically improved airflow into the airbox. Uh, so there was more there was more air in the airbox, which meant you could get more charge into the engine, which increased power the trouble was uh, uh, th th that worked perfectly it works great in the um, uh, it works great uh, on the in CFD models in modeling um, uh, in test runs there was a measure they were they were showing measurable improvements the trouble is it upset the bike's handling because the 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 the, the, the air was so um, or because of the shape of the of the air intake uh, under acceleration what would happen was the front of the bike would get light um, because that's what happens when a bike accelerates the, the sort of the front wheel starts to lift up and the actual air pressure on the inside on the inside of that air intake was forcing the front up even for further and making the front wheel uh, even lighter so it's it's it, it's a 
that to me is a reminder of how uh, incredibly difficult aerodynamics is on a motorcycle because they don't just say stay flat like a car they move around and change shape and all the rest of it and I think this is the same is going to be true for winglets as well yeah definitely I think you you always find even just in in your brief explanation there David in in layman's terms you can see how complicated it is and that's why you tend to see aerodynamicists getting so much money in F1 it's because they can dictate so much that changes and I remember there used to be a saying in F1 who needs Shumi when you've got Newey and uh, it was a case of Adrian Newey was able to design and develop all of these championship winning cars so we'll pay him 10 fortunes there isn't the same resources in MotoGP as there is in F1, but there'd be the same spending on aerodynamics or on aerodynamicists. So whether or not you're actually in a position to be able to spend that kind of money to bring in someone to to do that development work is is questionable whenever you look at the amount of money that can actually be gained from the sport. So I, I really hope that we do see a ban on winglets and just a rein in on the actual spending that there is on the aero work because there, it is a black art and I think whenever you're moving into something like this it's it's very easy to be brought down the wrong alley and cost yourself five million quid whereas I think uh, what we need to do is focus on on what we can actually model what we can actually work on and I know again from talking to Tom O'Kane he's uh, he's doing his PhD at the moment and it's on uh, developing a model that you can actually use to understand what the bike is doing at all times and it's it's very complicated to actually be able to do that because as we said earlier Dave the, the bike moves around you've got different lean angles you've got different inputs at all different times and, that, and you have to be able to understand what the bike does when it's leaned over at 50 degrees and you open the throttle how does this how does this change the dynamics of the bike so that's that's where bike racing is so different compared to every other type of racing it's where you need to understand every detail of the bike and uh, it's very easy to spend willy-nilly and lose lose the run of yourself and uh, basically come out with little tangible benefit from it yeah i mean the biggest uh, uh what we tend to overlook is also that the biggest actual aerodynamic factor on the on a motorcycle is the same as the biggest um uh, factor in handling and that's the human sitting on board on board it because you know humans are big lumpy they're horribly unaerodynamic when they sit on a motorcycle. Um, they make a, they make a complete mess. That's why you see the little spoilers on the back of um, uh, on the back of riders' helmets and the uh, and the speed humps. It's just to try to create a little bit more of an aerodynamic uh, shape. But even that that's only in a in a particular um, uh, you know in a particular um uh, position when when a rider is actually in a particular position on the bike the i mean just one thing about uh, why there are actually winglets i mean the, the point about the winglets for uh, yamaha and for ducati were mainly um because i think we're seeing also ducati abandoning the bottom uh, the, the the lower winglets and going towards the top winglets uh, uh, the idea is to create a little bit more um uh, down pressure at uh, high speed um, what happens uh, with, with a motorcycle is uh, as you're accelerating the front wheel wants to lift up uh, and it, it just goes a little bit 
light, which is, you know, not good at 350 kilometers an hour, just as you're setting up to brake for the next corner. So it's better to have the front wheel a little bit settled. It just helps the front settle. Uh, or th That was the explanation given to me by someone from Yamaha. Uh, they also said, you know, the actual amount of downforce is not very much. Uh, uh, when they tested at Aragon, they said, you know, it was about five, six kilos uh, of downforce, which is not enough, but it's just enough to keep the front um, uh, to keep the front settled and, and make it much easier to actually start braking and tip in, uh, uh, tip in for the next corner. Uh, and it's one more point. It's also worth remembering this wouldn't be the first time that we've had uh, rules on aerodynamics because once upon a time there were dustbin fairings, uh, uh, certainly throughout the 50s, and that made a huge difference in terms of top speed. Uh, the, the, my personal favourite MotoGP bike, or, or well, Grand Prix bike of all time, is the uh, 500cc V8 Moto Guzzi with the with the dustbin fairing because it's just a magnificent piece of engineering. Um, they were banned because they were dangerous, and uh, perhaps these will be banned. Uh, these winglets will be banned you know for the same reason if for for some reason you're always known as a man that follows the fads of the times have you put uh, <laughs> have you put uh, any uh, wings onto the gs back home yet no, yeah, I'm still waiting for them to. Uh, to I'm still waiting for them to turn up on the Touratech catalogue, which uh, you know, uh, so far I've been very, very disappointed that, that that they haven't. But I'm sure I will. I'll get a massive. Uh, I should just go around. Uh, there are some. Uh, there there are some young gentlemen who live uh, uh, on an estate near me, so I should just go around their house and uh, nick the uh, nick the spoiler off their Subarus and stick it on my bloody um, uh, on my GS. Speaking of uh, people that were following the fads of the times, uh, obviously in Qatar in Moto Two, we saw pretty much half the field jump to start. There were a lot of the guys that did jump to start were all the title favourites do you think are we going to see guys in the midfield just try and make a bolt now at the start and just be like the guys <laughs> up the front or uh, are we going to see a, a settled race and something that we can actually expect for the rest of the season there uh, this week I think um, uh, I think not racing in the dark is going to make it an awful lot easier for people to actually see what's happening with the lights and we'll get a lot more uh, uh, we'll get a lot better reaction so uh, no it's, it, it, again it's going to be interesting um uh, uh, this leaves obviously you know it, it leaves Luti with a uh, with a really big advantage uh, gives Morbid uh, well uh, no Morbid only was put back he was was put back several places but you know it, it certainly changed it's shaken the uh, shaken the field up. I think we we should have a you know a normal Moto Two or a more realistic Moto Two race at least. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to be. Uh, certainly wouldn't want to be going for favourites, picking favourites at this point in time. I see that uh, actually, just looking at last year, we had Zarco, Rince and Lowe's first, second and third. Um, you have to reckon that th those three are going to be pretty near the front of the same uh, this time you know, this time on Sunday, uh, uh, was also was also fifth. So yeah, I think I think we could be in for quite a good race. Yeah, I, I think that this is actually going to be a really good race, and I think it's going to show us what we can really expect from Moto Two this year. Qatar showed us that there's there is a, a a definite gap in that field. I think when you look at the times that Rince, Lowe's, and even Zarco were able to set as they were coming through the pack, they were setting times that were faster than the guys up at the front with a clear track in front of them. So I think in, in Argentina, if those guys have a clear run through, we'll be able to really see what we can expect from each of them this year. Last year, as you said, Dave, they, uh, they all fought for the podium. And I think in the final five, six laps, that's where uh, Lowe's started to drop back. Zarco was able to win and uh, Rince really came through strong to, to finish second. But I think uh, this is going to be a big test for guys like Tom Ludy and Giannis Folger because even though Folger crashed out of the first race, we saw that he had good pace. 
Luthi had another strong race, but uh, there are circuits that we've always seen Folger and Luthi be strong on. Now we need to see if they can carry that forward and really show the consistency that they haven't shown in the past. And it's the same for people like Louis Salam. Obviously, he finished second in Qatar, but he was 10 seconds behind the winner, probably about 12, 13 seconds off the pace that we would have seen from uh, Rince and Lowe's if they had been at the front. So even though it looks positive that Salam finished second, I think this is where he needs to really build on that podium and and show that he's got uh, maybe back to the kind of confidence that he had in Moto3 but uh, we definitely haven't seen him display anything like that uh, regularly in Moto2 in Moto2 so it's going to be a challenge for guys like that I know Danny Kent as well we saw him have a strong race to finish sixth he just kept himself out of trouble and uh, I know you were talking to Peter Baum and I think it's important for Danny just to be able to show that uh, you know he can have those kind of solid sixth seventh eighth place finishes at the start of the season that's what they're aiming for and then build on that as the season progresses yeah especially a track where they haven't tested yet so that, I mean uh, again that's going to be re- that's going to be really really interesting to see how uh, uh, see how that works out to see where everyone um, uh, ends up um, if we move to Moto3 I was just looking at the Moto3 results from last year and I see that the, uh, the basically the, the top four from last year have all left the class in uh, uh, all moved up to Moto2 so that leaves uh, fifth was Brad Binder and sixth with, was uh, Fabio Quattararo so that that is actually I think the Moto3 and it was a cracking Moto3 race uh, uh, um, or well uh, apart from Danny uh, behind Danny Kent who just you know destroyed everyone else but behind it the the, the, the race of second was absolutely fantastic so I think I think this is going to be a lot more interesting it's going to be a lot closer it's also going to be interesting to see how riders like Bulaga and uh, Juan Mir um, uh, how they actually cope with a completely new track a track they've never been to um although because it is flowing it does make it a little bit easier to learn and to understand and to actually find a line and go fast um yeah i mean the the moto three i think could be could be quite an entertaining race yeah i think um when you look at uh, qatar we saw a real i wouldn't say a change in the guard but we definitely with so many riders having stepped up we see where there is a level playing field now where there isn't really too many guys with a lot of experience there's someone like Fanati who's been in the class since 2012 but beyond that uh, most of the guys are only in a, in the last two years let's say and that's where it's definitely helped people like Bulga be able to come up and be quick from the outset but I think uh, when you look back at Qatar I couldn't help but be impressed by Antonelli and it, it definitely shows that the second half of last year what he did in those last seven eight races has carried forward and I think that uh, no one's ever doubted his speed but now he's actually shown that he's got the maturity to go along with it and uh, you wouldn't be surprised to see him rack off quite a few wins now early in the season I think for someone like Brad Binder as you said he was strong there last year as well but he needs to get that first win under his belt now but I definitely think that if you look down through the field Finadi last year was strong in Argentina I think uh, that's where there was that uh, last lap scrap with him and I think it could have been Bastianini or someone like that and, and that's where Mike Webb said that look last lap I'm going to let racers race and uh, that uh, left Finadi very upset but uh, I think this is where he needs now to to show that uh, he's the top dog in the, the VO46 team he's the guy that deserves to get the chance to move up into Moto2 the following year because from everything we saw in Qatar it shows just uh, how competitive it's going to be between him and Bulaga within that team and I think that uh, 
really it is going to be a case of who asserts themselves first and uh, who's able to really show that uh, they deserve to be the the leader within that team and uh, I know that uh, obviously we've got Aragon this weekend in World Superbikes as well and that's a case of we need to see who asserts themselves within teams like Kawasaki within Ducati who's the top dog in those teams and uh, obviously after Thailand we saw a really good scrap between the two Kawasaki's but uh, now we need to see if uh, Tom Sykes is able to carry that forward into uh, Aragon as well. And uh, will, will you be watching this weekend, Dave? Uh, I shall certainly be trying to watch uh, the, the, this weekend. Um, uh, unfortunately, because of because of my working sort of rhythm, uh, writing after after the events of um, uh, uh, after MotoGP is finished, it means I don't get to bed until sort of you know five six o'clock in the morning, and so getting up for a morning race is, can be can be a bit of a killer. Um, but we shall. I'm certainly looking forward to. It. I think it is. Uh, I think it is going to be an interesting um, weekend in World Supers. Um, I uh, again, like you say, it's going to be you know Ray versus uh, Ray versus Sykes again. That's going to be a big story. But also uh, looking at the results from last year, uh, Chaz Davis uh, he took a second and a race win. So uh, it's really going to be interesting to see. I mean, the the, the uh, as far as I can tell the Ducati seems to be a better bike than it was last year so yeah I mean it, they uh, sh- certainly Chas Davis should be able to really take the fight to uh, uh, take the fight to the Kawasaki's and, and get in amongst it which I think is you know it, it's needed and it's going to be interesting I think it's going to be tougher on um, uh, on the Hondas, it's not really a, uh, it, it's not, it's a bit of a horsepower track. There's a lot of acceleration from slow, uh, uh, from slow corners. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what, what the Yamahas do, how the Yamahas actually manage. Um, uh, uh, though they've tested at the track, so that, so that helps. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a, an interesting and intriguing weekend i think yeah i think uh, it's one of those golden weekends where you get MotoGP, world superbikes and if there is any car fans and f1 race as well so it's it's one of those weekends where i think everyone will just sit down on the the couch order a pizza and just stay there for the weekend really but i think that uh, in aragon we're going to have good races i think as you said uh, it's uh, it's that stage of the season now where we really start to see what teams can do the ducati i was actually talking to Chaz davis about uh Aragon and what uh, he expects from it obviously he won there on the BMW took his first uh, first double there I think and then he won there on the the Ducati as well so it's a track he's always gone well on and I was asking him whether or not the acceleration from slow corners the long straight will actually hinder him too much and what he said was that uh, there's only one section on the track where he, he really gives up time and that's on the straight uh, leading down to the last corner but uh, because they've shortened the track it's actually not uh, as bad as it was when World Supers first went to Aragon where you had to go all the way down past the last corner into what the the, the sports cars use as their, their final corner. So he seems pretty confident that he'll be able to fight with the Kawasaki's and that's what we need to see. We need to see just uh, a lot of racing where everyone's... Uh, really able to play to the strengths of their bikes because that's the one thing that uh, I found this year obviously when you you move championships you you have to learn everything from scratch really you're used to watching as a fan you're used to just uh, you know looking at a world superbike race but not really studying it in, in the same detail you do when you're working in the the Grand Prix paddock and it's just interesting to see just how different all the bikes are on the grid obviously they come from production based bikes so you are going to see a lot more variance compared to MotoGP but it is just interesting that so many bikes are strong in so many different areas 
that uh, over the course of a lap, it's it's tricky to actually make up an awful lot of time. Obviously, the Kawasaki is the most well-rounded bike, so that gives them a big advantage. But you look at the the lap time difference between the Kawasaki, the Yamaha, the Honda, the, uh, the Ducati, and, and and there isn't that uh, that uh, great spread that I actually expected going into this year. So it's it's going to be good this weekend just to see on a track that everyone knows how they all do in weather conditions that are a bit more predictable. Like obviously Thailand's very hot and humid, so it makes things challenging for the bikes and the riders. Phillip Island is the most unique racetrack that we go to where basically you get strange results. So now we're into the, the, the meat of the season where suddenly we start to see exactly what to expect. But it should be a, a good weekend of racing. And uh, I think it's it's one that uh, in GP and in World Superbikes, we're going to see a lot of interesting results across uh, each of the classes. But uh, Dave, we'll, we'll leave it there for, uh, for this week. Obviously, it's just a preview show. So uh, we've got a, a lot to look forward to within Argentina. But uh, thanks for joining us again, Dave. Thank you. Thank you very much for hosting this. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And as we said at the top of the show, if you want to like the Facebook page, just search for Paddock Pass Podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're on Paddock Pass Pod. And you can follow myself at Steve English GP, David at Moto Matters, and uh, Neil Morrison at Neil Morrison 87. So you can follow us all and just interact with us. Give us your feedback. Tell us uh, what you're looking forward to for this weekend. And uh, even during the weekend, just uh, send us your thoughts from whether it's watching Argentina, whether it's watching Aragon. And uh, when you listen back to this, just give us a rating on uh, on iTunes. Give us a follow. And uh, it just greatly helps people to actually find the podcast. And uh, far more importantly than that, as Jensen said uh, a couple of podcasts ago, the Two Enthusiasts podcast is actually ahead of us in the ratings. And Dave, we need to catch up. It's uh, getting to an embarrassing stage. Surely people are more interested in listening to MotoGP news rather than just Jensen nattering on about road bike. Well, yes, yeah, yeah. Of, of course, they must be ours. It's much more, uh, uh, much more exciting. But uh, I can only put it down to my own, uh, uh, my own stammering, and uh, rather than Jensen's uh, uh, suave professional pr- uh, uh, presentation skills, that's that's what it must be. But I'm sure that uh, uh, once we get Neil's baritone tones back on the uh, uh, back on the podcast then we'll have um, uh, lots more of his female fans tuning in just to listen to his uh, just to listen to his uh, his voice well that's actually something we were talking about earlier Dave as is Neil actually down in Argentina just for the race or is he down there for some famous South American stem cell research to see if he can bring his <laughs> his, his base levels up towards a more natural tone something that uh, will be able to be listened to by everyone as opposed to just mostly snakes <laughs> Snakes and blue whales. I thought perhaps he joined the uh, the, the the Japanese whaling fleet to try and uh, uh, emulate the um, uh, emulate the mating calls of some uh, minky whales to try and attract them. But uh, who knows? Anyway, yeah, um, I, I think he saw hard of the sea, Dave, and he just really wants a piece of the whale in action. So uh, <laughs> he's, he might might well keep it down at that level. But uh, thanks again, Dave, for joining us. And, Thank you. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk again after Argentina. Yes, look forward to it. Uh, we clap yep. one, two, three. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, <laughs> I blame Skype. Yeah, definitely. As long as we've got something to blame, it's all good. Yeah, Dave. exactly.